Well, good morning and welcome to our online services for Scottsdale Baptist Church. Thank you for giving us the privilege of coming into your homes this week. And talk about a crazy, crazy week that all of us have has experienced. In fact, we would even say it's not just crazy, it's unprecedented. And it's been a week like this that have many people really concerned and unsettled. When you think about all the things that have happened in the course of this week, things have been so fluid and they have changed so quickly. Earlier this week, we sent out a video telling us how we're going to meet together as a faith family and take all precautionary measures to keep this virus from spreading. And that very afternoon, our governor came out and said that we are to not meet together in groups of more than 100. So we felt that the best way to mitigate the spread of this is to join in that recommendation and not continue to gather together as a corporate family, but we would go online and we would come into your homes. As a result of that, the governor has even made another change and has stated that no schools are going to be operating for the next two months, two weeks, for the next two weeks. And so a lot of people are concerned about that. They're asking the question, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for my job? How am I going to navigate working and taking care of my children? Older adults who may be compromised with health issues or underlying issues are wondering, what does it mean for me? Can I go in public? Can I be with my grandchildren? Am I to stay within the home uh, by myself and not have any contact with my brothers and sisters in Christ? For those who are retired, you're wondering what this does to your income. You've seen the stock market take incredible hits this week. For those of you who may be thinking about retirement have now realized, well, I can't do it. I even had one person ask me, hey, are all these signs of the end times? Does this mean that Jesus is about to come back when we hear the wars and the rumors of wars and this global virus that seems to be shutting down our globe and our economy? People are really unsettled during times like this. But it's during times like this where we can have confidence in the faithfulness of God. It's in times like this where we can have confidence in the sovereignty of God and His power. The one who knows the end from the beginning, there's nothing He does not know. And while you and I can be fearful of these things, we need to be fearful of the right things. In other words, those who are, have a fear of God in a time like this are afraid of nothing else. And as we walk in a reverent fear, understanding that He is God and in control of all things, we need not fear. We've been studying the first letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, known as 1 Thessalonians. And we've entitled it Faithful, Remaining Faithful. And those people were going through a very difficult time. And they have demonstrated the faithfulness of their walk with the Lord. And I can't see a better time to be looking at these scriptures than in the time that we are now. We come to chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Probably some of the most popular, most read verses, most known verses in all of 1 Thessalonians. And the Apostle Paul is about to address them because they had incredible fears. They were unsettled. They were living in a time of persecution. The Apostle Paul had come and he had taught them the truth of all the doctrines of the Christian faith. They were new believers. They had only walked with the Lord for a few months. The Apostle Paul is taken away from them. And everything that he has taught them, they now are questioning and they are bothered by certain things. 
The Apostle Paul taught them about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And as he leaves, now they are concerned and bothered by some things about these truths. First of all, they're concerned. Some of them think that they missed the return of Jesus. Some of them thought that they were in the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and following, which was a time of judgment. But the biggest concern that these Thessalonian believers had was many of their loved ones, their fellow believers, their family members have died. Some of them died because of persecution. Some of them may have died because of illness. We're not sure. But many of them have passed away. And so the Thessalonians are concerned. They're wondering, what's going to happen to them? Or are they going to miss out on the return of Jesus? Are they going to miss out on the resurrection? Are they going to be second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven? And as they were concerned about these things, the Apostle Paul addresses those. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. But here's what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't come to them as a theologian and began to teach them all the eschatological doctrines of the return of Christ. He doesn't give them this theological treatise and all the details of what it means that Jesus is coming back. He doesn't do that. He doesn't come as a, as a theologian. He comes as a pastor. And as a pastor, he encourages their heart. As a pastor, he begins to speak truth to them to help clear up their misunderstanding. As a pastor, he brings them encouragement that they are to pass to one another. I think this is an appropriate passage for where we are today and where the Thessalonians were. Because we too are unsettled. We have a lot of questions. What's going to happen with this coronavirus? Where is this going to lead us? But in this passage, the Apostle Paul uses five words that bring them great comfort, five words that bring them incredible peace and encouragement. So beginning in verse 13, going to verse 18, the Apostle Paul shares these truths with these young believers to encourage them. Here's what Paul says. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Will you join me as we pray together? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, for the comfort that we can receive from your word. And today, as we continue to study 1 Thessalonians, Father, show us how it is so applicable to where we are today. Give us comfort. Give us peace. Give us encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, the Apostle Paul begins addressing these confused, discouraged believers. And as I said, he gives them five specific words. Now, these words are not original with me. As I've studied all week long, most commentators have used these words in different orders. But today, I want to take these five words, and in a time like this, use these to show us how we, too, are encouraged even today with the truth of God's Word. Where does Paul begin? He begins with this. He says, we have a clear revelation from the Lord. The first source of encouragement that he brings to the Thessalonians is, hey, you have a clear revelation from the Lord. And he lays it out in these verses in this way. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. This is a transition time because they were confused about those who are asleep. The word asleep is a euphemism for those who have died. That you may not grieve as others who do not have, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you, By a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear that he is not giving any any stipulations on his own thoughts. He's not trying to give some conjecture or speculation. He's saying, I'm giving you a word from the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly what he's meaning there. Is he talking about the word that he had read from the gospel and maybe what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24 or in Mark chapter 13? Or or is he giving it from some apostles that have spoken that to him? Or maybe some uh, prophets such as Agabus gave him a word from the Lord? Or is it the Lord himself that has given these words to the apostle Paul? At either rate, we know this, that the apostle Paul is saying, this is not from me. This is an authoritative word from the Lord Jesus himself. And because he has given this revelation, this is your source of hope. This is your source of rest in truth. And this word, this revelation that that the Lord Jesus has given to us includes three important things that we find in this verse. Here's the first thing that we discover. That we have... Absolute revelation because of the cornerstone of our faith. What is the cornerstone of our faith? Paul says the cornerstone of our faith is this, that Jesus died and he rose again. That is the irreducible core of the gospel message, that he died and he rose again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul puts it this way. He says, and that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried And he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. The apostle Paul is reminding them of the most basic truth for every believer. And that is that the Lord Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He was literally buried, put into the ground. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. The death, the burial, and the resurrection are core to the Christian life. Because if Jesus had died, but he has not risen from the dead, then he cannot validate any claim or any promise that he ever made. And so the death of Jesus must be followed by the resurrection of Jesus. If he only died, then the gospel would be faulty. 
And if he didn't rise from the dead, then the gospel would be futile. But the reality that he died and he rose gives credibility to every single thing Jesus ever said. And because he died and he rose from the dead, that is the cornerstone of our faith. All of Christianity rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not rise, Christianity would have died in its infancy. But because he rose from the dead and he is alive today, the authoritative word that we have is this, that our Savior lives. And no matter what we're going through, no matter what the difficulties of our days are, we have a risen, living Savior. And that is the cornerstone of everything that we hold dear. That is a relevatory truth that will never change. But Paul goes further. Not only do they rest in the cornerstone of their faith, but we, because of Jesus, have confidence of our hope. That's what he says here. He says that some of you have fallen asleep. The word fallen asleep is a euphemism for those who have died. Paul is not talking about some new theology of soul sleep. Some people believe that when a person dies, they go to sleep until the judgment or to sleep until the end of eternity, which never ends. So that person is perpetually asleep. That is not what Paul is talking about. There, that thought is foreign to the gospel in every sense. What he's talking about is the body has fallen asleep. The body no longer functions, but your soul goes to be with the Lord. Paul says this. He says, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Every person who's in Christ, the moment they die, their body goes to sleep. It no longer functions, but their soul goes into the presence of Christ. And there they are with him forever. They are secure. They are at peace. They are in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And there is nothing to fear. So he tells them, do not lack hope like those who don't know God. Those who don't know Christ hope for the best. But those who are in Christ, you are absolutely, totally, once and for all secure in him. While your body may be in the ground lifeless, your soul is alive in the presence of Christ. This week, we've had two families who have lost loved ones. And we say that word, loss, but they're not loss. They're in the presence of the Savior. I think of Mr. Brown who passed away this week. He's in the presence of Christ. I think of Mr. Savage who passed away this week. He is in the presence of his Savior. And there's no loss of hope there, but there's a great celebration that those who have died in Christ are absolutely secure. But then there's a third thing that the Apostle Paul brings out. The certainty of our resurrection. This is an incredible truth and probably most clearly defined here than any other passage. The Apostle Paul says that there is a resurrection. And he's speaking to these Thessalonians and say, listen, those who have died in Christ, they're not disadvantaged. In fact, they have an advantage over us who are living. Because when the Lord Jesus comes back, guess who's bringing? He's bringing with them those who have died. This is how Paul puts it. We who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He goes on to say that the dead in Christ will rise first. Not only are the dead in Christ secure with him in heaven, 
But when the Lord Jesus comes back, he is bringing with him all the saints who have died in in the past. And not only is he bringing them with the clouds, but they will be the first ones to experience the resurrection. It's interesting that he uses the word asleep, and it's a meaningful word. Because when a person is asleep, you know what follows sleeping? An awakening. In fact, we bury people and we put them in a cemetery. Do you know what the word cemetery means? It literally means a sleeping place where the body rests. But when the Lord Jesus returns with those saints, the first thing that happens is every single grave is going to give up the bodies of those saints. And those new resurrected bodies are going to meet the saints in the air. And the first resurrection takes place with those who are coming with him. So all of our loved ones who have passed away are secure. But when Jesus comes back, they are coming with him. And the first resurrection takes place. I don't know why we pay for burial plots. We shouldn't have to pay for them. We should only rent them. Because when the Lord Jesus comes back, every one of them will be burst open. And we will not need them anymore. And every single grave that is burst open will be a testimony to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so there's the promise of this. And it's only right that the Lord Jesus who died and rose from the dead is coming back with a new resurrected body. It's only right that he brings the saints with him and they will have resurrected bodies. So here's the truth. The revelation that we have is the hope in Christ because of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again. You and I have confidence that when we die, we are secure with him forever. And when he comes for his church, we receive a resurrected body in the same way that the Lord Jesus has. So death cannot stop the fulfillment of God's word. Disease and sickness cannot stop the eternal security that every believer has in Christ. No difficulty or persecution will ever keep the Lord Jesus from fulfilling his promises for those who trust him. We have revelation that is truth and that is sure. And he brings comfort to the hearts of the Thessalonians. But not only does he speak about revelation, there's another word that he uses. Paul says this, we have a promise of a personal return Of the Lord Jesus. It's one thing for you and me to have the revelation of truth, but there's a promise of the return of the Lord Jesus. In verse 15, Paul puts it this way He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The coming of the Lord is a major teaching all through the New Testament. We see it, of the 27 books in the New Testament, 23 of those books speak of the second coming of Christ. For every one mention of the birth of Jesus, there are 30 verses that speak of of the return of Christ. And, And there's for every one time it speaks of the birth of Jesus, there are eight passages that speak about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel writers wanted us to know this, that Jesus is coming back. This is a certainty. This is not speculation. 
This is designed for anticipation and motivation that our Lord Jesus is not going to leave us here alone. In fact, what's really interesting about this passage, Paul puts it this way. He says, for the Lord himself will descend. Jesus is not sending a delegation. Jesus is not just sending his angels. Jesus is not going to send a bunch of prophets from old or any kind of special messengers. He is coming himself. And the incredible comforting truth in this is that we know that Jesus will never ever leave us. Right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding on our behalf. He is constantly declaring us to the Father. But one day he will come personally. One day he will step out of the thrones of heaven and he himself will descend from heaven and come for us. The Apostle Paul says that there's some elements with his coming. He's not real detailed. He says he will come with a cry of command. Many scholars believe the cry of command is that Jesus is commanding those bodies to be united with those saints coming with him. It's a reminder of what Jesus did with Lazarus. When he went to Lazarus, he gave the command, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out of the tomb. And when he comes, he's going to give a command that brings about the first resurrection. There'll be a voice of an archangel. We don't know who that is. Some speculate that it's going to be Michael. We don't know. But there will be a voice and there will be a trumpet of God. What is that trumpet? We don't know. It's just one blast. But a trumpet in these days demonstrated something that was of great importance. That it was a great event and a great dignitary was coming. That's the picture. And when Jesus comes, he is coming for his bride. Here's the wonderful comfort in this. We will never have to worry about being left alone as children of God. We will never have to worry about being left in any difficult circumstances. Because the Lord Jesus promises that he will come for those who are his own. In John chapter 14, he says this. He says that I will come, and where I am, there you will be also. He receives us to himself. And there's the great promise, is that we're never alone. So regardless of what we're going through, he is always with us. He is always watching over us. He is interceding on our behalf And there will come a day where he will come for his own. It may be in our own death or it may be at his return. But the promise is sure. We have revelation. We have the promise of a return. But here's the third thing that we have that Paul tells us. We have the mystery of the rapture. Now this is a mystery to so many people. This one particular verse has been studied, it has been debated, it has been scrutinized, it has been sensationalized probably more than any other passage in the New Testament. And so many people are trying to figure out what does it mean, when does it happen, and how does it apply to us? What is the rapture? Here's how Paul puts it. He says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. We'll be caught up. What does that mean? That's where the word that people use as the word rapture. 
that we will be raptured. And it's a picture that all those who are in Christ, the church, will one day be raptured to meet Jesus in the air. Now, the word rapture doesn't appear anywhere in Scripture. It's actually a Latin term. But the word caught up is very significant. Harpozo is the Greek word. And it literally means to be snatched away, to be grabbed, to be violently taken even. It means to be pulled away irresistibly by some power, which is the power of God. It is something that you cannot stop from happening, but it will happen. Jesus uses this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, saying that we are to take the kingdom by force. That is the word that is used there. And then in John chapter 10, verse 12, Jesus uses it to demonstrate a wolf snatching a lamb. And then he uses it later in that passage that no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. It is a picture that what will happen is a mysterious thing that when the Lord Jesus comes back, He will come back with those who have already died and then their bodies will be resurrected. And then when that happens, every person who's a child of God will instantly be taken up in the air with the Lord Jesus. This is not a local event. This will be a global event. This will happen on every continent. It will happen in every city. It will happen in every town. It will happen in every countryside village. Everywhere around the world, in a split second, all believers will be caught up to be with the Lord, snatched away and be in His presence. And when that happens, many people say, do we get a new body at that time? The Apostle Paul captures it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means we're not all going to die. Those who are still alive when the Lord Jesus comes, we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, the Apostle Paul is telling us in the same sequence of what he told the Thessalonians. The first thing will happen is that the dead who are in Christ will first be raised. They will be resurrected with new bodies. Then what happens after that? All those who are still alive, instantly, in the twinkling of an eye, will be changed. It's at that point that every believer receives a glorified body. It's at that point that every child of God has this new, resurrected, glorified body. Now what we don't know is this. We do not know what that body will look like. Many people speculate and want to ask the question, how old will we be? Nobody knows. Many scholars say that we'll all be 33 years old because that was the age that Jesus was when he died. Now, for those of us who are over 33, being 33 sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But for all of you who are teenagers and in your early 20s, you might think 33 is really not a good deal here. But it really is, because we'll be like Him. In every way, we will be like Him. So there's the revelation that we have the truth of His Word. There's the promise of His return, that He will never leave us. There's the mystery of the rapture, that one day the Lord Jesus will take us with Him and we will meet Him in the air. By the way, meeting Him in the air is very significant. Why is that so important? 
The scripture says that Satan is the prince and the power of the what? Of the air. The air is his domain. The air is his territory of all places for Jesus to come and get his church and to gather all of the saints of all time together will be in the air on his turf, on his territory, which will send a very clear signal to every demon and to Satan himself that there is absolute victory in Jesus. And there we will celebrate the victory. So there's this revelation that we have that will never change. There's the understanding of this security that we're always going to have in Christ. There's his return. There's the rapture. But there's a fourth thing. We will have a reunion with believers and with Jesus. Here's a wonderful, beautiful picture. There's going to be a reunion that all those who have preceded us in death, all those who are raptured will be an incredible reunion in the clouds. Paul tells it this way. He says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. There's going to be an incredible reunion. And the reunion is going to be unlike anything we have ever seen. When the Lord Jesus returns, he returns with all the saints of the past, with their glorified bodies. We will be changed, those of us who are still here, and meet him in the air. It will be better than any high school reunion you could have imagined. Why? Because we'll have perfect bodies. Have you been to your 40th or 50th high school reunion? Do you know what the people you graduate look like now? Do you know what you look like now? When we get to, to meet Jesus in the clouds with all those saints, we will all have perfect bodies and we will see him as he is and we will be like him. Can you imagine what the sky would look like? An incredible celebration and rejoicing as we are together. But listen, that's not all it is. It's not just a reunion with one another. It's a reunion with the Lord Jesus himself. Because he is the one who will snatch us away from, from, from the presence and the power of an enemy called Satan. He will snatch us away from a broken world filled with sin. He will snatch us away from the very wrath of God. And we will be forever together with him. Here's one of the wonderful truths when we go through difficult times is we don't go through it alone. The Lord Jesus is with us. Our brothers and sisters are together in this. We walk through the uncertainty together. We walk through the pain together. And as we do these things, we celebrate in a union together as the family of God. But here's the last thing, and this is really important. We have a responsibility to fulfill. I love the way Paul ends this. There's a responsibility. You know, it's one thing for you to understand that there's revelation. It's one thing for you to know that the Lord Jesus is coming back in his return. There's one thing to know that there will be a rapture and there'll be a reunion. But we have a responsibility. Paul says it this way. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. 
with these words. Build up one another just as you are with these words. What words? The very words he just spoke. The words that we have the truth to life that Jesus died and rose from the dead so that you and I can have a security in heaven that will never be shaken. That you and I walk in the truth that we do not walk this life alone. That God knows every detail and struggle of our hearts and the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father calling out our name constantly. He knows us. He knows where we are. And He never leaves us. And the truth that we walk together as we trust Him, we encourage one another in the truth of His Word. We encourage one another in the certainty of His promises. We encourage one another that one day we will be together for all of eternity. We encourage one another that until that day happens, we will walk together in the certainty of His promises and the absolute security of our relationship with Him. But not only do we encourage one another, we encourage the people who need to hear the truth of the gospel. We encourage the lost among us we encourage the people who, who are the most unsettled, the people who have the least amount of peace. We encourage our neighbors who don't know what to make of this coronavirus. We encourage our children who are confused and may be afraid of what's happening in our world. We encourage our co-workers, if we get to go to work, of the hope that we have in Christ. And we take such a moment as this to be the light, to be the salt of the earth, to be those who have the words of life, those who know the Prince of Peace, and we understand that He Himself will sanctify us fully in all things. We encourage those around us. What a wonderful opportunity for us to encourage the elderly and to take care of them, and to speak the truth of the gospel. What a wonderful time to encourage people with the reality of a virus that is far greater than a coronavirus, this virus called sin that will destroy them, but Jesus is the only one who can eradicate that cancer from their bodies. What an opportunity for gospel conversations. What an opportunity to walk in the absolute confidence that I fear nothing. Because I fear God. And as we deal with these uncertainties, may we walk in the revolutionary truth of God's word that he has given to us as a revelation. May we walk in the certainty of his return and that we're never alone. May we walk in a future reunion that we know will be there for us. And may we walk responsibly to encourage one another in all things. These are certainly days that we don't know how they will end, what they will lead us to. But we know this, that the Lord Jesus knows all things. He knows where we are. He knows our greatest fears. And he knows that he is the only one 
who can deliver us from that. Will you take time as a family, even today, to walk in that kind of confidence and to love one another in the midst of these days for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was content with giving them that information of his return. And I am content today to give you these five words that will transform our lives as we impact our communities for the glory of Christ. May we live in such a way that my life demands an explanation from the world. And that I live in such a way that I live as though he could come back today. But I plan to keep being faithful if he does not come back in my lifetime. Because my desire is to glorify him. 